Welcome habits to the and Habits and Health, and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. Brought to you by an educator and coach for anyone who wants to create a healthier life. Here's your host, Tony Winyard. Welcome to another edition of Habits and Health. My guest today, Dr. Kajiki, who is the author of Sick, Tired, Untreated and Abandoned, which is about how the medical community fails Hemoto's patients and how you can get your life back. He's a certified functional medicine practitioner, chiropractor and patient educator with clients and he's been working on four different continents. His clientele includes celebrities, corporate leaders, women stressed by family life and work, programmers, computer programmers, athletes, and, and many others. So we dig into to a lot more about Hashimoto's, autoimmune conditions, thyroid, and, and so on. So that's this week's episode with Dr. Gil Kajiki. If you know anyone who would get some value from this, maybe you know anyone who's got some autoimmune conditions, please do share the episode with them and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Habits and Health, my guest today is Dr. Gil Kajiki. How are you, Gil? I'm great. Good morning, Tony. Thank you. And well, it's good to see you. And we all, you were just telling me you're in Colorado. Yes, I'm in northern Colorado, about 30 minutes south of Wyoming. And you were saying you, you much prefer this to where you were before. So what, what was it that made you move? Um, you know, I needed to get out of Los Angeles more than I needed to get to Colorado. Uh, I'm one of the few people that I lived in the San Fernando Valley suburb of Los Angeles for my entire life. I mean, I literally lived within a 20-mile radius of where I was born. And I've been there long enough to know why people go to Los Angeles and why people leave. And I'm one of the ones where it just got too crowded, too expensive, too dirty, too political – too many people who have entitlements and I just needed to get out of there. And so how did you go about choosing somewhere to go? Um, I'm an outdoors guy. So I love the mountains. I love the rivers, the lakes, the streams, nature. And I needed to be somewhere where it was an outdoor area. It was an outdoor state and I was in nature and I mean, it's so beautiful. I look out my front door and I see the Rocky Mountains every single morning. And I'm literally 20 minutes from the nearest mountain range and river where it's just so, so clean. Yeah, so it's just, it's it's a beautiful place to be. So from from the way you just described that, there was a sounded, there was very little stress. And I'm wondering if there was a lot more stress where you were before. Anyone who lives in Los Angeles knows what the stress level is like. I mean, there are just inherent stresses in Los Angeles that you just can't reduce that are beyond your control. And because it really started to get so bad that I had to get out of Los Angeles. And like I said, it could, it could have been Utah. It could have been Montana's. It could have been, you know, any of these other kind of outdoor States near a mountain range. But, um, Colorado just seemed ideal for me and it was it was a it was a great choice and I just I love it. I I mean I honestly have zero stress. And what little stress I have compared to other people's stresses, I don't complain one bit. 
Well, I get the feeling we're going to come back to stress in this episode, but let's get into who, if I asked you the question, who are you? How would you respond to that? Gosh, that's a, that's a tough question. You're making me think about myself here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much just an ordinary guy. I'm an average person. I, I don't like to be in the spotlight. Um, I don't like to be in front of cameras per se. And I kind of lay low, you know, beneath the radar. Um, but when my doctor self comes out, um, I don't necessarily want to be in the spotlight, but I want to be there for people. I want to be there to answer questions, give them information, give them hope, give them some solutions. And that when that professional self of me comes out, um, I really want to be in that type of arena. But outside of that, you won't hear about me. You won't see me. I shut off my phone, I shut off my internet, I shut off my email, and I'm just outdoors in nature soaking up the environment. So that streak, you talked about wanting to help people. Can you remember when that first surfaced? So I'm presuming that was as a child, or when? when's your first recollection? I, you know, I don't think it was a child. I mean, unlike a lot of people, I, I'm not in a profession where I said, I always want to do this. I always want to help people. I think it came out when I finally got out of college. I, I, I didn't even know what I wanted to do or be when I got out of college. Right. And I just kind of picked the first thing that my friends had told me they were doing and what I had thought about. And it was either going to be an attorney or a physical therapist. And then from being a physical therapist came chiropractic and then I was a horrible student, horrible. When I was in academics, I was, I was horrible. But when I got into clinical sciences, I realized, wow, I'm really good at this. I'm really good at putting it together and applying it. And when I realized as a chiropractor, I could use just my hands to get people out of pain, out of discomfort, reduce their physical stresses. Then I really wanted to do it. Then I realized I had a skill that I wanted to apply and I wanted to help people in that arena. And that's when I really started to want to help people. And then my wife came down with Hashimoto's about 13 years ago and I didn't know how to fix her. And I had to rely on my colleagues and seminars and books and online information to figure out how to fix her. And when I finally did get her fixed and got a resolved of her Hashimoto's naturally with the help of my friends and all these other resources, I realized, wow, she's probably not the only person who feels this way. There's probably a lot of other people out there. And so I went into functional medicine with the specialty of autoimmune and thyroid. And at that point is when I realized, wow, this is where I get my personal satisfaction from getting somebody out of their discomfort from an autoimmune condition or a thyroid condition that the conventional medicine doctors couldn't help them with. And now that was way more personal rewarding to me than being a chiropractor and helping them with back pain and neck pain and headaches because now I changed their life. They're able to 
play with their grandkids. They're able to work. They're able to have a full day of a productive life. And I could never do that as a chiropractor. And I think that's really when it kind of kicked into high gears after my wife's Hashimoto's condition got resolved. Wow. So do you specialize now in Hashimoto's or all autoimmune conditions? Um, I specialize mostly in Hashimoto's, mostly because people come to me with their Hashimoto's conditions. Um, they, they, They tend to seek me out because conventional medicine couldn't help them. They're taking their thyroid medication. They're not getting better. So they start scouring the internet and they come across my information. And they already come to me saying, hey, I have Hashimoto's. I'm not getting any help from anybody. Hey, I have low thyroid. I'm not getting help. Hey, I have this uh, autoimmune disease and nobody can help. So they kind of come to me already knowing what they have. And I help them find solutions for that. And when they come to you, I get this feeling from what you just said, they've tried many different places and just been, nothing's worked for them. So they're maybe quite down and almost like ready to give up or, or what would you say? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, many, many times the conversation is, look, you're my, you're my last hope, okay? If, if it's not you, if you can't help me, I'm just going to give up because I've been to, you know, I've been to what they say is every doctor. Well, right. No one's been to every doctor. But in their world, yeah. right, they've been to every doctor their insurance will cover. They've been to every doctor their uh, relatives or friends or colleagues have told them about mm. and – I mean, even if you've been to four doctors, it seems like a million of them. Yeah. And when you don't get any help, it seems like you've had it forever. Yeah. And yeah, they, they kind of come to me in this downed, almost desperate state of needing some kind of answer to their condition. So, I mean, obviously every, every patient's different, but once you start working with them and start turning things around, what would you say would be an average? How long does it does it take for them to start realizing, wow, things are actually changing? Yeah. Um, well, that's always a fear of theirs. A fear of theirs is always, what if I don't get better? Right. And I have this criteria that I use personally, and that is you should be feeling noticeably better in about six to eight weeks. Right. I mean, because that's enough time for me to do my work, to implement some protocols for you to really give it a good try. And if you've done what I've asked you to do and I've done the proper protocols, you should be feeling noticeably better in about six to eight weeks. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean you will be. Sometimes it's 12 weeks, sometimes it's two weeks. But you should be at at six to eight weeks. You should be saying, you know what? I think this is working. I think I may be on the right track. Let me just keep going and see if I keep feeling better. So mm-hmm. that's my criteria. And I, I would assume that from when they realize, <clears throat> well, I am feeling better, it just starts to compound because then they, they start believing a lot right. more and, and so on. Yes, it's very exponential. And it just, it kills me. And I mean, it breaks my heart when I hear people say, I've been working with the same doctor for three years and I've had no results. Mm. I've been working with the same doctor for a year and I'm worse. And it just kills me because now that's their, that's their relativity coming to me Mm. is that, you know, 
how, why, why would I believe it's going to be any different with you? I've done this already for seven years, three years, and I've had no results. And so I kind of tell them the same thing. I just told you, look, six to eight weeks, I get reports that they're feeling noticeably better. So we're going to use that as a gauge. So in, in obviously in the last couple of years, everything's changed in, in many different areas, you know, and so now many people are seeing people as we are now remotely. So are yeah. you in what you do? Are you able to see people remotely or do you need to see them face to face? No, I've, uh, I've, gosh, I've created protocols where I'm only remote. Right. <clears throat> so whether I'm in Colorado or California or, you know, Russia, it doesn't matter where I am. I could work with anybody as long as they get a phone signal, an internet signal, and get delivery. I, I can work with anybody in the world. And so have you had patients from like very far away from where you are now then? Oh, many, yeah. I've, I've been doing strictly remote for probably seven years, and I... I've had patients in New Zealand, Kazakhstan, Italy, France, Germany, um, you know, all probably all 50 states for sure, Canada, UK. I mean, it's just, like I said, every, anywhere that you can get mail delivery, a phone signal, or an internet signal, I can work with you. The toughest part about working remotely with people is that they don't always have accessibility to the testing. Yeah. And so that's the reason why I'm able to work with people remotely and not physically see them is because I have testing that I can give them or access them to. Right. And that gives me the information I need to create my treatment plan. Right. And so once you, once you're able to, to turn the situation around and they, they start improving, do they, do they then, so I'm, well, I'm trying to word this question right. Would I just carry on working with you for a few more years? Or would I then go back to their medical doctor? How would that work? I think that's personal choice. Um, I'll tell you, you know, my wife having Hashimoto's, it's not, it's not like a broken bone. You don't cure it. Right. You don't do protocols, cure it, and it's, and it's gone forever. There are flare-ups. There are situations where you have to really watch what's going on and, and you can manage an autoimmune condition, but you can't cure it. So you have to constantly be on it. So I always give people the option after their initial phase of working with me, do you want to continue working with me on a lesser or same basis? Or do you want to stop and go off on your own? Choice is up to you. And inevitably, you know, either finances or time or some kind of barrier comes up where they're unable to work with me mm. or they choose not to work with me. Um, and then that's a tough situation because they still have their Hashimoto's. They still have their autoimmune condition. They still have their thyroid issue. Mm. And it's not uncommon for me to get calls two years later, three years later. Oh, I'm back to where I was. I My diet went to crap and I didn't do what I was supposed to do. So ideally it's best to have this coach with you and check in with them periodically throughout the year, but life gets in the way sometime and, and they just don't do that. So thinking about autoimmune conditions, are, is there any of them that are much harder to treat than any others or is it sort of similar results for, for most of them? 
<clears throat> no, there, there are definitely degrees of difficulty with different autoimmunities, but I think it's some of the other factors that make that more complicated. Like a brain autoimmunity is very, very difficult. Right. You know, when, when you have your own immune system attacking your brain or your nervous system, that's a very, very difficult kind of autoimmunity. It's hard to live your life that way. Hmm. Whereas if you have an autoimmunity that attacks your joints or your skin tissue or your hair follicles or your nail beds, it's not quite as complicated. Right. But, you know, it's it's individual individuals like, you know. I could have rheumatoid arthritis and you could tell me it's not as bad as a brain autoimmunity, but I don't care because my immune system is killing my joints and I'm hurting bad. So we take each case individually and treat them individually, regardless of what the name of the condition is. And you mentioned that when people come to see you and they've, they've in their minds, they've, they've seen every doctor. What is the condition that most people by the time they see you, they've just kind of given up because they've, it just seems impossible for them to cure. Yeah. Yeah. Because they have a myriad of symptoms and, and none of them seem to fit one condition. So they have fatigue and weight gain and hair loss and insomnia and digestive issues and depression and anxiety and heart palpitation. They have this myriad of symptoms and it doesn't fit one condition. So in conventional medicine, everything is segregated. Right. You see the cardiologist, you see the endocrinologist, you see the nephrologist, you see the rheumatologist. So it's very segregated, and the body doesn't work that way. The body is not segregated. We are very integrated, and everything works with everything. Hmm. So unless you're working with a doctor that understands that, you're going to have a very difficult time trying to get your condition resolved by seeing a singular specialty doctor. Now I specialize in Hashimoto's and low thyroid, but I realize that the adrenals are related to that, that your hormones are related to that, that your guts related to that, that your brain functions. So I look at all the different aspects that could really add to the picture of an autoimmune condition. And you talked about thyroid. So what what are the sort of common signs that someone's got a a thyroid problem? Typically, it's like I tell people, slow thyroid, slow metabolism, slow symptoms. So if you think of slow metabolism, you would think, oh, I've got weight gain, I've got fatigue, I've got sluggishness, I've got dry skin, I've got constipation. And so even that slow symptom, slow metabolism is kind of lumped into thyroid. And then they go to their thyroid doctor and maybe their tests are normal. Maybe they're not. They put them on thyroid medication and then that doesn't work. And because what we're finding is it's not very often thyroid. Mm. It's most often what I call triggers and triggers our body dysfunctions that very closely mimic a thyroid problem, but isn't a thyroid problem. Hmm. So these triggers, they look like a thyroid problem. They feel like a thyroid problem. They act like a thyroid problem. They have the exact same symptoms as thyroid problem, but it's not a thyroid problem. It's trigger. Hmm. So I talked about those slow metabolisms, slow symptoms, slow thyroid symptoms. Well, I look for anemia, blood sugar instability, adrenal gland dysfunction, hormone imbalance, inflammation, gastrointestinal problems, 
food sensitivities, chemical sensitivities, and hidden infections. Mm. And all those triggers have the same symptoms as low thyroid. All those triggers cause fatigue. And so I'm finding that if you don't address those triggers first, you will not get that thyroid issue resolved. And when you were saying that, it made me think about a lot of people, well, there's obviously a huge problem globally with obesity and over people being overweight. And so many people th- think that the, the reason they're overweight or they're obese is simply because they've been eating too much. And it can be so many other things, can't it? It can. <clears throat> and I think, uh, you know, one of the frustrations my patients have is when they fill out there's this very detailed patient information form, they say, I'm exercising like crazy. I'm eating so good, but I can't lose any weight. So in their minds, their diet is good. Their exercise is good. Why can't I lose weight? Hmm. Well, maybe it's because you have an adrenal issue. You have a hormone issue. You have a gut problem. You have an autoimmune issue. So yeah, it's much more than just diet and exercise. Hmm. But in the, in the arena of diet, we can't have the standard American diet. And, and that's why all these other countries are starting to develop di- diabetes and obesity because they're, they're starting to follow the standard American diet with lots of processed foods, lots of trans fats, lots of carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. And the disease rate is going crazy because of that particular type of indiscretion. Mm-hmm. So you touched upon labs before. So when you're seeing people remotely mm-hmm. and and then you try to get them, to, I guess, to do labs locally and then they send the results to you. But how right. do you I mean there's so many labs that could be suggested, recommended, and some of them can be yeah. quite expensive. So how are you able to, mm. is it simply, I guess it's simply a matter of a budget, what they can afford. How do you decide which labs are going to be most appropriate? Yeah, well, it's what I do is I, I I want to see what are their symptoms. And then based on their symptoms, I'll say, well, which of those triggers seem to match those symptoms? And then I'll look at their patient history and I'll see which of those triggers match the symptom and the history. And then I know what labs to order. I at that point I know do I order only blood? Do I order a stool? Do I order uh, a saliva? Do I order a hair analysis? Do I order a dried urine? And so really my decision on what labs to order is based on the patient symptom, the patient history. So I could never tell a stranger, hey, order these labs, because some of those may be a complete waste of money. Right? So Every, every case is individualized, and that frustrates some people sometimes, especially when they ha- they've seen every doctor <laughs> in the last seven years. They spent thousands, tens of thousands of dollars trying to get better, and they are frustrated because I can't tell them what labs do I run, uh, what's my treatment protocol, what supplements do I give, what kind of diet do I give, how much does the treatment plan cost. I really don't know because every case is individual. Mm. So... I individualize every single case. So I can't give people in advance what kind of supplement, what kind of lab, what kind of diet, what kind of 
Uh, you know, what, what, what kind of cost? What's the treatment plan? I don't know that until I have this in-depth conversation with somebody. And, and staying with, with labs, there's a lot of companies offering DNA results, DNA tests. And oops, sorry about that. I thought I turned it off. And there's like nutrigenomic tests and so on. How much, um, it seems to me that some of the results from some of these companies, certainly some of the DNA tests, are giving people false hope and they're, they're telling them that by having this test, they're going to know all, everything about their DNA and it's really the case, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I think that varies from doctor to doctor. Um, you know, doing these genetic SNP testing and MTHFR testing, they're genetic. So that means it's embedded in your genetic coding. You can't change that. And I think people are attracted to that because they've heard something they haven't heard before. Right. They, so they're drifting to this tech, high technology information where they go, oh, I've got a genetic SNP. That's the reason why that I can't methylate properly. And, you know, so what, what do you do about that? And to be honest with you and, and to be quite frank, I have found genetic testing to be less helpful than more. Right. I've rarely ran a case where the genetic testing made a difference. Right. And so I think it's very expensive. I think there's not a whole lot you can do about it. I think it does tell you maybe the complexity of your case, which would maybe tell you the prognosis and what to look out for in the future. But I don't believe you get enough information from genetic testing to make the difference between that person feeling lousy and feeling better. Mm. And so what would... So you, we were talking before about, you know, so you were specializing in Hashimoto's and, and you're doing thyroid and so on. Do you have, would most people you treat, you'd be able to help or are there, how many, what percentage of people are you just not able to help? This may seem unbelievable, but statistically, I, I, have exceeded people's expectations about getting better about 98% of the time. Wow. <clears throat> now that's assuming that they do what they're supposed to do. Right. I do what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. But about 98% of the people, I exceed their expectations about getting better. Sure. There's a percentage of people that there are situations that I didn't anticipate I didn't know about, mm. they don't follow my recommendations yeah, yeah. And, and, and there are a small percentage of people, but for the vast majority of people, if they follow my recommendations, if they do the testing I need them to do, they're, yeah, they got about a 98% chance of getting better. Right. And, and I guess there's a big part of that is some people are just, well, they think it's too hard to, to change their lifestyle and, and it does require a change in lifestyle sometimes, doesn't it? Absolutely. It is. There is going to be a change in diet. There's going to be a change in your lifestyle. There's going to be some addition of nutritional supplements and that's difficult. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's lifestyle changes are probably one, one of the hardest right. because you tell people, 
yeah, I know I should exercise. Yeah, I know I should get to sleep earlier. Yeah, I know I should take put up, put up you know, put my phone away. Yeah, I know I should react like that. They know this, right. that they just have a lot of difficulty following through with it. Hmm. I know on your your site, it says something about an, an all-natural protocol. So what, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, all-natural meaning that I don't prescribe any kind of medication. I don't prescribe any kind of synthetics. I want you to have a whole foods diet, meaning the diet that's best for you are usually the, the foods that have one ingredient and don't have an ingredient label right. <laughs> and natural supplementation like vitamins, herbs, minerals, enzymes, amino acids, detoxes, de-inflammatory eating plants and lifestyle changes. I mean, literally the more you can get away from technology and get to nature <laughs> and get sunshine and peace and quiet and listening to water, that's going to be the best kind of treatment for you. Mm. When I, I can't remember when it was. I know you've, you've written a book, um, Sick, Tired, Untreated, and, and Abandoned. When, when was yeah. it you wrote that book? That recently came out. That came out probably in April of this year. Okay. And what was the thinking behind it? Why, what made you decide to do that? <clears throat> well, I would go through pretty much the same type of consultation with people explaining to them about the triggers and about Hashimoto's as an autoimmune condition. And I realized the patients that came to me, they were sick, tired, untreated and abandoned. Right. I mean, their doctors would literally say your lab tests are normal. Go away. You know, uh, lose some weight, start exercising more and eating less and they literally were just abandoned by their doctors. And the conventional medical model, for the most part, they failed this Hashimoto's patient. Hmm. And so I thought, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to write a book <clears throat> that tells people about the triggers, that lets them know I understand what they've been through and here's why you were abandoned. Here's why you're sick, tired, untreated, <laughs> and frustrated. And, and so I just pretty much put what was in my head on the paper. And I wanted to write this book just to help people understand, look, there's a way out of this. It may seem like there's not, but there is a way out of this. And just by reading this book, you'll get that glimmer of hope of Oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. This is why I couldn't get better just by taking my levothyroxine. This is why I couldn't get better just by going gluten-free. This is why I couldn't get better by uh, cutting my calories and exercising. So it gave them that first step towards, well, what do I do? I'm frustrated. I'm abandoned. What do I do? So I talked to them about the triggers. I talked to them about the testing. And I don't tell them what to do. I tell them, here are the next potential steps to start getting your life back. As you were in the writing process and you're starting to crystallize all your thoughts, did, did it change your thinking at all as you were kind of putting all this down on paper? I don't think it did. No. I, I, I mean, I was crystal clear about the message I wanted to convey and 
I was able to convey that in a form that the average person could read it and not be confused by it. And I didn't write it in a language that was over their head. Mm-hmm. I wrote it in a very simplistic layman's kind of language so they can understand their condition. They can understand what the next steps were with testing. Why doesn't my medical doctor do this kind of testing that you suggest? Because it's not in that bottle. Hmm. And how has the, what's the, the reaction been to the book since it was released? It's been positive. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's pretty much has been, I heard you on an interview before, and then I got your book, and you said the same things in the book that you did the interview. Yes, <laughs> I did. It's a very consistent message. <laughs> so I've had some good feedback for it from it, but I, I think it's in their mind, it was, wow, I read it, I heard it, and now it makes a lot more sense. I, I, I've involved more sensory input and now I can actually take some action steps. And, and sometimes with, with these, with books on talking about various medical conditions, sometimes there's a lot of theory, but not enough action. So it sounds like from what you're saying, there are action steps that people can actually take some action. Right, right. There, there, there are action steps on what to look into. It's just, as I mentioned, everyone's different. So I couldn't tell anybody, well, here's the diet that you do. Here's the supplement that you take. Here's the lifestyle changes you do. But it's, we need to find the triggers. Which of those triggers do you have? Do you have the anemia? Do you have the, the gut problem? Do you have the hormone issue? And which ones do we prioritize? How do we prioritize it? Mm-hmm. That'll help us know where we're going to do the testing. Mm-hmm. And whether it's me or another doctor, you can go in there educated, pre-educated and say, hey, I believe I have this hormone trigger. I believe I have this gut trigger. I believe I have this infection trigger. Do you th- do this type of testing? Mm-hmm. No, I don't. Oh, wrong place. Let's go somewhere else. Right. And so since writing that, have you now got any plans for another book or have you had enough of writing books? Yeah, I think I've had enough. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not much of a writer. I mean, this certainly is not going to you know, win any award-winning book prizes. It was merely to get information out of my head onto paper and make it accessible to the world basically, because I, I can treat almost anywhere in the world. So I wanted to make it accessible to anybody in the world. <clears throat> and then they could start finding the appropriate practitioner for them at that point right. and not feel like, what do I do now? My medical professional gave up on me. I don't know where to go. Here's, here's some steps on where to go. We're, we're staying with books. Is there, can you think of a book that has really moved you for any reason? It doesn't have to be connected to your work, anything at all. <laughs> you know, because so much of my life is my work, um, I would have to say one of my heroes in my work and in my life is um, Dr. Jatis Karazian. And he wrote a book called Why Do I Still Have Thyroid Symptoms When My Lab Tests Are Normal? And that became the number one selling thyroid book in six months in the world because just the title alone makes you say, yeah, that's me. 
why do I still feel crappy? My doctors say my lab tests are normal. And so then they just dismiss you and they abandon you for the most part. Hmm. And that leads me to my, what you asked me about, what's my favorite quote. And of course it's work related, but here's what I tell people. There's no way your lab test can be normal and you still feel lousy because the doctors are either reading the tests wrong, doing the wrong tests or not doing enough of them. Likely all three. And so the testing is not the be all end all. Mm. There's more to testing than just what you were given. Right. So if people want to find out more about you, maybe to get in touch with you, where, where are the best places to go? Uh, best places is my website. And my website is www.drkajiki.com. So that's www.drkajiki.com. And on that site, you can download some free thyroid video resources. I have a link to a, a six series um, streaming video that I uh, created with Lisa Gar. Lisa Gar is a very well known uh, radio host out here in the California area. And she, her and I created this video series, and she is actually responsible for putting me on the international map. Right. Yeah, she put me on a radio show called Gaia, and that's international. Once I got on Gaia, people from all over the world started contacting me. So I, I give credit to Lisa Gar for for that. Um, but you can also uh, go to the Amazon link and purchase my book mm-hmm. there. And if you just want to get right to it, because you've heard, heard this interview with Tony and other interviews, you just want to get right to it. You could purchase a ninety-seven dollar thirty-minute consultation and and just get right to it and that's a time for you and I to talk and see if it's a good fit. See if, if you like me, see if you're a good fit for my protocols. And if I can help you, I'll let you know. And if I can't help you, I'll let you know. You won't waste any time with me. Well, before we finish, is there any question I haven't asked you, which you think would be good for the listeners to know? I think people who tend to listen to shows like yours are a little more well-read and educated in the health arena. And I think one of the things they may be asking themselves in their head is, okay, this sounds good, but why would I pick you? Hmm. And, and, and my response would be, I may not be the right person for you, hmm. but if you follow the information and just say, do I have these triggers? That kind of makes sense. How would I find out if I have these triggers? I have to do certain kinds of lab testing and blood is not the only media for lab testing. There's stool, saliva, dried urine, hair, breath. So once you get the data, now you have something to work with. Mm. Now you can do pre and post testing and then you could do protocols that say, hey, did my diet change the lab triggers? Did my supplements change the lab triggers? Do I feel better? And what do my lab triggers look like? Mm. And whether it's me or any other health professional out there, I think if you follow that protocol, that data, and use that before and after lab testing and the triggers, you will be 
so much better than you are now, it'll give you the energy and the hope to continue going. Well, Gil, it's been a, a real pleasure. So thank you for you know, such an interesting conversation for the last half hour. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, Tony. Next week is episode 86 with Dr. Vic Manzo, who is a certified pediatric chiropractor, certified chiropractic wellness practitioner, and a former Reiki master and trainer. He has a wealth of knowledge and experience with nutrition, holistic health, energy medicine, and being a former Reiki master and trainer. So we dig into a lot more about what all of that means, what he's doing now, which is quite different. He's gone in a very different direction and about um he's got a, he's got a podcast called the mindful experiment and he's got another new podcast he started recently called health by dr vic so we dig into all of that that's next week with dr vic manzo hope you enjoyed this week's episode please do share it with anyone who would get some value maybe you know someone who's got hashimoto's or some kind of autoimmune condition and some of this information will be really valuable to them and hope you have a fantastic week Thanks for tuning in to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Sign up for email updates and learn about coaching and workshop opportunities at TonyWinyard.com. See you next time on the Habits and Health Podcast.